And we'll read something from the gift by Hafiz. I imagine now for ages. It happened again last night. Love popped the cork on itself, splattered my brains across the sky. I imagine now for ages something of Hafiz will appear to fall like stars. That's a nice sensation. <laughs> Have your brains scattered across the sky. Good way to do it. So, as I think most everybody here knows, that uh, Doug Godby, this last Saturday morning, uh, sometime early in the morning most likely, had a massive stroke and uh, was taken into the hospital around 7 o'clock in the morning on Saturday. And he made his transition, passed away, died, left his body, however you want to put it, at 11 o'clock uh, that evening. And um, the process for everybody, I think, was something of a roller coaster ride. There was not a lot of certainty as to just what had happened at first and then what the outcome was going to be or how severe the stroke was. Uh, up until, I would say, about 11 o'clock in the morning. And, um, and then from there, it was just a, a process, but a very peaceful process, a, a one of very loving, and uh, one where it really drew a lot of the community together, both Interlight Ministries and the Movement of Spiritual Inner Awareness and Messiah communities together into one action of loving and support and saying goodbye to uh, a dear friend. And we gathered together at the hospital, and uh, after a while, uh, in talking with the nurses in intensive care, they allowed all of us to come back and to, to say our goodbyes to, to Doug and to truly have an experience of closure, but also to you know, wish him farewell and, and to a good new journey that he was beginning to take. In, in those last few hours. And it was really a, a beautiful process. It was one, we cried a lot, we laughed a lot, we really had a, a blessed time. It was truly blessed. Um, it was a challenging time, as you can imagine, for the family, but at the same time, it was a good time. And I would say that the spiritual maturity of the community really came forward. The, the practice of meditation, the practice of building the power of the names up, of letting that loving live within us individually and collectively truly came forward in, in such a blessed way. Um, it was very interesting because when I was kind of negotiating with the, the nurse uh, in intensive care, she said, well, we know we don't allow usually with just two people at a time back here uh, we don't want any noise. We need to have it very peaceful and quiet. And I said, this is really a spiritual community, and I'm sure that if you will allow us to come back, that you'll find that we'll be quiet, we'll respect your space, we won't be in your way. She said, well, we'll try it and see what happens. So I started sneaking people in. And uh, I, at first I did three or four, and then I did a couple more, and I, said, I just kept taking people back until we had pretty much everybody in the back room, uh, in, in, his, in his room in intensive care. And the nurses were just very cooperative. They 
truly appreciated how quiet, how loving, how peaceful we were and everything, um, and how much we respected their spaces as well as Doug and the family space. They were just amazed. And um, so they let us stay there the whole day without any problems whatsoever. And when the new nurses came in, they also did the same thing after having conversation with the uh, nurse that had been on with Doug up until they, they came on staff. So during the day, um, we first found out the, the true situation for Doug, and then after that, uh, we brought in the rest of the family members that were in town at the time and shared with them the condition and what was happening. And there were some decisions to be made, and we slowly made those together as a, as a family group. Um, or they did, and, and we were assisting in that process. And as that was going on, there was a greater peace that was coming into each of us. It was quite remarkable to really participate and witness and even though it was a trying time, it was very challenging to make decisions that were very final, that were um, decisions you would hope to never have to make for another one. Uh, at the same time, as the decisions were being made, the choices were being offered and made, there was a great peace that was coming into that action and a great quiet because the disturbance, the fear, the wonder, the doubt, uh, was all just melting away. And all that resided then in, in, in the whole action and in the room was just loving. So it was a remarkable experience. And um, it, was, it was, I think, one of the most remarkable things for myself and Brian and, and I'm sure those that were in the room at the time is when um, we brought Nicholas in the room and shared with him just the condition of the, of his father and what was really going to be happening now and the decisions that we had to make and, and what decisions uh, had been made and, and where that was all leading. And, um, boy, and that's what happened. <laughs> when Nicholas came in, it was just such a wonderful, moving experience of, of true spirit. I mean, he is such a spiritual being in his own way. And um, he cried and he talked to his father and, and came around and hugged everybody in the room. He didn't leave one person out and cried with each of us. And it was just really remarkable. Just a wonderful, wonderful process. And I think he helped us more than we helped him <laughs> in the process of it all. And he moved into great acceptance and and he was very sad and did not want him to go, but knew that this was just what was happening. And, and there was a great spiritual maturity in, in how he approached it and how he was with his father. He, he uh, climbed up on the bed and was with his father and hugged him and loved him and talked to him. And, and then he made a joke, just true to the form of Doug, you know. In the midst of the most serious situations, Doug will find a joke. And so that's what happened with Nicholas. As we were standing there after a while, he uh, reached up and put his hand on Doug's stomach and said, I'm going to miss that big old belly. He says, that gives the biggest breast hugs in the world. And we all just laughed. And, and uh, then we started making little jokes and having a good time. And at, at first it felt kind of strange, like, are we really supposed to do this? 
But we knew that that's what Doug would want, that Doug would want us to truly honor him in the way that he honored life, and that was through enjoyment of life, the, the, the joy of living and the joy of laughter. And that's the one thing that Doug did is he always brought laughter, humor, fun into every, every place that he went. And he did it. If you've never noticed, look at the pictures back here, and if you come to the service tomorrow, you'll see pictures there. On every picture, there's a smirk, a smile. There's something there. There's a glimmer in his eyes of that elfish quality of him. And it's really the spiritual essence just shining through. He is one who has truly lived the spiritual pathway for many years. Uh, before he was initiated in the path of sound and light back in the 70s, he was also practicing another spiritual practice uh, out in New Mexico, having to do with aura balances and uh, healing and at the Quimby Center. And then he was initiated in the movement of spiritual inner awareness in the path of sound and light and really began to, to practice that divine pathway. And he's practiced it ever since that time of his initiation which I would suspect was in the mid to the latter part of the 70s. I don't know the exact date, but I would suspect it was like 76, 77, somewhere in that period. And um, I had a real wonderful experience that I am just so joyful that I get to do it. And I, I just, I'm grateful for who I am and what I'm doing in life now giving initiation, holding for each person to get to the soul realm and beyond into soul transcendence. And I really witnessed that with Doug. Uh, Brian and I had gone home, I guess about 10 o'clock, about 9.30 actually, uh, to kind of collect ourselves a little bit and rest up. They had decided that um, uh, they wanted to let Bra uh, Doug's sister get in town and she had been delayed in Phoenix. The flights were delayed and she couldn't get in town on time as early as she had hoped and was expected to get in about 9, 9.30 and get to the hospital and then they were going to more than likely spend the night with Doug and then make a decision on uh, uh, pulling the life support and see just what happened uh, at that time. Well, his sister got into town about 9.30, she got to the hospital, and about oh, a few minutes before 11, they decided rather than to prolong it, to, to make this a prolonged process for everybody, that they talked with the doctors and decided to go ahead and to, to pull life support at that time and to just let the life process take its uh, course, whatever that might be. So they called us and asked us to come back to the hospital uh, uh, we thought that they were going to, from what we understood on the phone, that they would wait till we got there. But they, the doctor came in and and pulled the uh, ventilator at, uh, earlier than we had expected. And so we were driving over, uh, you know, knowing what was going to happen next, not exactly knowing how long. The doctor said it could be a minute, it could be an hour, it could be uh, 12 hours, it could be 24 hours. They really didn't know not knowing for sure the full condition of Doug's body. They knew that he had had 
a, a, a massive stroke, that the left side of his brain was dead, that the brain stem was somewhat damaged and probably being more damaged every minute as the blood flow continued, and uh, that there would be just a slight chance of any kind of recovery at all, more than likely he'd just be in a coma and more of a vegetative state. And that's why the family was making the decisions they were making because of the condition of the body. So um, we got in a car, we were driving over to the hospital. And as we were driving, I just closed my eyes. Brian was driving, fortunately. <laughs> it's bad when you decide to meditate while you're driving. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> um, need to get bumper stickers for the front. Watch out, I'm meditating. <laughs> um, so I was meditating, and as I went inside and went out, all of a sudden I was up in the soul realm, and there was Doug. And um, he had what looked like a big towel. I don't know what you would call it, but to me it was like a big towel. And he was holding it behind him kind of almost over his head. And he was running through this green field, this green, beautiful field, just running through it. And it looked like Superman, you know, just the, the towel flying behind him. And he was going, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. And he was just running all over the place. And then he came running up to me yelling, I'm free. And he looked at me and he says, look at me. I'm skinnier than I was when you met me. This is the best diet. <laughs> and off he ran. And, you know, so he left me with the joke that he would always do. He would always leave people with a joke, with something to laugh with, to remember him with. And so I thought that was just a beautiful way to have seen him leave. And I, I told Brian afterward, I said, I, I bet he's already gone. And we got there, and sure enough, he was. And so I'm sure that at the moment that I was in meditation and saw him, that that's when they probably uh, pulled the ventilators and uh, just allowed him to go. He was gone immediately. There was no real time between the ventilators coming out and, um, and, and the body you know, dying. Uh, more than likely, uh, at the time of the stroke and just time after, uh, the physical body really was dead. It was the ventilators that kept the body alive. But it was good because it gave everybody a chance to come in and say goodbye and to really be with him for a while, for the family to arrive and to say their goodbyes. And there was a lot of wonderful miracles that happened. One, his daughter that lives up in Seattle, Washington, just happened to fly in the night uh, that he had the stroke. The, the, that, that morning, he, she had arrived at 2 o'clock in the morning and went on in, into the hotel and, and um, uh, was going to show up to the house the next day. And, and that's when he had a stroke that, that morning. And the night, uh, uh, as the Friday night, um, they were all, uh, Nicole, no, Nicole, uh, Nicholas, and um, my mind is just going right now. I'm, uh, I went up high, and I got my mind back. <laughs> da, 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 da. No, I know, Raquel. Okay. <laughs> I just have to get refocused because I went up, and I liked it up there. <laughs> and there's a part of me that just wanted to stay. Okay. So Friday night, Doug and Raquel and Nicholas were in the living room playing, watching videos, 
And uh, Raquel fell asleep on the couch, and, and Doug and Nicholas played until 1 o'clock, just having a good time. And then they covered up uh, Raquel, and they all went to bed. And um, it was the next morning that Raquel went in to just check on Doug to make sure everything was okay and found him in, in the condition that he was in where he had had the stroke. Uh, we don't know what time it might have happened, uh, somewhere between 1 o'clock and 7 o'clock that Saturday morning. And um, so the fact that, you know, he did get to stay up and have a great time. Nicholas had a great time with his father that night, and, and uh, his daughter flew in, and Jessica flew in from Seattle and got there that morning at 2 o'clock in the morning. Uh, so she was already here and available to be a part of the process was really a blessing. Not a miracle. It was just a blessing, a true blessing. And it's how Doug would do it. Doug, in his spiritual wisdom and, and the grace that was in Doug and around Doug and, and in the blessings of the, his initiations, uh, really set it up. So it was just all grace-filled. You know, Nicholas is, is, was out of school, so he didn't have to go to school right now for a while. The family could be adjusting. His daughter is in town, and everything was just all set and perfect, and then this could happen. So, you know, it is really grace-filled that things like this do unfold, and it's wonderful to be able to witness such a grace-filled action as this was and really is right now. So um, I want to share a little bit more about the process, but first I just want to also say that in the back on the table there's some information about where the, the memorial service will be tomorrow and uh, the time. It's going to be at the Cook Walden Funeral Home uh, at 6100 North Lamar. It's just north of 2222 uh, across the street from the Texas Department of Public Safety. And it's going to be at 3.30 in the afternoon uh, tomorrow. It's a memorial service. Uh, Doug wanted to be cremated. It was, it was quite interesting. Uh, Nicholas found out everything. and and uh, came in a few times to visit and said his goodbyes for a little while. And then he left to, to go be with um, some friends that lived next door. They had come to, to visit, and, and he went home back home with them for a while. And while he was gone, he called his mom on the cell phone, and he said, Mom, Mom, remember, Dad didn't want a, a, a coffin uh, funeral. He wanted to be cremated. He didn't want anybody to see his body. He just wanted to go. And so be sure to get him cremated. And that's wonderful. I mean, a 12-year-old boy all of a sudden realizing, you know, and assisting in that way. So uh, uh, Doug's uh, going, body's going to be cremated soon, and we'll be having a memorial service tomorrow. So um, let me share a couple of things then. I want to read something. Let's see. If I can find it real quick. Well, you can tell I'm not a Bible scholar. Oh, I had my hand on it. My hand knew where it was. I just didn't know where it was. Okay. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. 
He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Those are the green pastures that I saw him in. The green fields, the green pastures. That's a higher region within the soul realm. And that is what any spiritual teacher that is initiating people on the path of sound and light is taking a soul to, is those green pastures in the soul realm. That is what a good shepherd does. He takes his flock through the wilderness, through the barren deserts, towards that green pasture, which is the soul plane, so that the flock is safe, the flock is home, the flock has everything it needs. And that is what a spiritual teacher does. That's what Brian and I do here, and that's what any spiritual teacher on the path of sound and light is doing. Not any spiritual teacher, period, but any spiritual teacher that is truly initiating on the path of sound and light. Because that's what the path of sound and light is about. That's the only intention that God has given the spiritual teacher to do, is to get the soul home. Get the soul to look inward and upward, to detach from this creation, to attach to God and to God's loving, and to go home. And so that is what we as spiritual teachers here and any spiritual teacher on the path of sound and light is doing. So when I saw Doug up on these beautiful green fields, this green pasture, just running, 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 saying, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free, I knew he knew it. I knew he had made it. I knew he was there. I knew that all the work he's ever done in his meditations throughout all these years, now he was seeing the reward. He may not have had a lot of conscious awareness of soul, of that spiritual pasture, that green pasture that God promised David and all those that David initiated so many years ago and has promised every spiritual teacher of the path of sound and light the opportunity for those souls to go home to. But I knew right then and there, when we were driving to the hospital, Doug had made it. Doug was there. And he was rejoicing. And, and that, to me, was the greatest reward I could have ever had, to really witness a soul now going home and not ever having to come back. He truly is free and will remain free. I know Doug's not going to look back. I know Doug wanted out of here. He wanted to be complete. And that's why he sat down in meditation every day. So that when that day came that he was complete, he could go home. And that's really what happens. When our karmas are done, when we are complete here, God doesn't give you a chance to create any more that might attract you or attach you here. He says, come on now, let's go. And that's what happened to Doug. And he immediately was just taken from his body. And then we all dealt with what was going on with his physical body, not his soul. He was gone the moment that stroke hit. He was gone. But there was a process that the physical form had to go through. 
to bring it to completion. If the physical body is somewhat healthy or very healthy, it takes something like a massive stroke to just bring it to closure, to bring it to completion. But it's also very interesting. Let me get some water here. Where do we focus when we're meditating? It's here, at the seat of the soul. What we are doing is we are holding our attention here to draw that which is our life essence, our soul that has found itself attached to this physical form and all of its qualities. And we're drawing it back up, 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 every time you meditate, back here to the seat of the soul so that eventually we can go through that spiritual eye, that spiritual eye door, that spiritual center, and begin to travel in the realms of spirit. It takes time. I wish it was immediately, but it takes time. It took us eons of time to get ourselves trapped here and even to forget about God and about spirit and about who we are as soul. It took time. And so it takes time for us to finally remember, to finally wake up, to finally find that doorway home to God. When we as meditators on this path do truly practice this meditation and we're drawing our life force up here, we will find that door and be able to go home. We might find it consciously. We might find it unconsciously. We may never fully wake up in the mind level at this, at this level of being to know the truth of the inner practice and its reward. We may not know it until we take that last breath and truly leave this physical body for the last time and wake up on the other side to know the truth of this meditative practice and where it takes us. But I do know it works. Whether you know it or not in your meditation, as long as you do the meditation, there will be that day when you get to the other side and leave the physical body for the last time that just like Doug Godby, seeing him run through the fields, I'm sure I'm going to see you running through the fields doing much the same thing. Much the same thing. And that I know to be true. I've seen it before, but this was such a reward for me to see it with Doug. Such a blessing. And what's amazing is, I see the stroke as God's grace to him. When God said, come on, and pulled him up out of his physical form to take him home, and all that life essence was pulled up and out, I'm sure that that would create a stroke of some kind in the brain in the physical form as that life essence is just pulled out like that. And that was a way to help the physical body to begin the process of closure. I mean, it's all perfect if you just look at it from a little different perspective. If you're caught up in the physical world and the emotional nature and the mind down in these lower realms, then your perspective is going to be one of concern, of fear, of disturbance, of uh, how unfair it is, and whatever. But as you go higher and higher in your perspective, you get a bigger picture of the whole thing. And you begin to see the greater picture, the greater grace, the greater opportunity 
of this whole process. So I would invite you to begin to look at your own life as well as this situation from that higher perspective. Lift up, raise up inside yourself to begin to see that for yourself as well as this situation with Doug. And begin to realize that there is something happening that oftentimes we cannot see because it isn't of the physical nature. Those things that exist beyond the psychic material world really are unseen to the mind and to all the levels below it. They're unseen. They're unknowable. And they always will be. It's up to us to wake up beyond the mind to know the truth of it. But I know that that which we are sharing with you, your initiation on the path of sound and light, these sacred names, that they do work. That if you sit down every day and give time to God, tithe to God 10% of the day, or tithe to God in some form, maybe it's 10% of 10%, whatever works, do it. Do it, do it, do it. Because it has an accumulative effect. Every time you do it, you step further along this pathway on the way home to God. You're getting closer to God. Every step, every name you chant, you're going home to God. And I know for a fact that when that day comes, whether you consciously know it in your meditation or while you're in the physical form, when that day comes that you take the last breath in the physical form and your soul does leave this physical form for its last time, you will wake up on the other side and you will know. You will know the truth of this path. And the wonderful part of it is, is the grace of the Holy Spirit is with you all the way. All the way on this journey back home to God. It's with you in the name of God that is given to you at the initiation. And it lives with you as you chant that name and build the power of the name up inside of you. It lives in you, around you, through you, every minute of every day. It is the life force. It's not your breath does not give life to this body. Not truly. It's the life force of God, the Holy Spirit, the, lo the living, audible life stream that gives life to this body. And it's that sound current, that audible life stream that we will return home on, return home to God. And that is the essence that you will meet up with when you take your last breath and go home. It lifts you up. It's, it's, a, it's the river of loving. It just You move into it and you just rise up on it, back home to God. And your spiritual teacher, which is truly the Holy Spirit, but in the form of the one who initiated you, will be there to take your hand and to walk with you back to those green pastures. And that's what happened. And there Doug was. Doug already knew the way. He had been there before, consciously. He knew how to get there. So he went rushing to it. He was there running, running, playing, having a good time. Just rejoicing that he now has gotten home. And so tonight, tomorrow, the next day, as you think of Doug in the future, 
Rejoice with Him. Truly rejoice with Him. Be grateful that Doug was in your physical life and in your spiritual life. Rejoice in that. And rejoice that you know that truly Doug has made it home. He's a good living example of someone who walked the path and did it every step of the way. He did it in loving. He did it in forgiveness. He did it in acceptance. He did it in gratitude. And he did it in humor. I think he laughed his way to God. And he did all he could to get us to laugh our way home to God too. I think he found the great joke of life. And he lived it. And he shared it with everybody. So rejoice in that humor. Rejoice in that smile. Rejoice in his beauty. Rejoice in his loving. Rejoice. And tomorrow, there'll be tears. I'll be crying. <laughs> I know it. <laughs> I have no doubt about it. I'll be crying with everybody else. But you know why I cry? I don't cry because Doug's died. I cry because I'm left behind. I'm still here. <laughs> That's why I've cried. <laughs> I want to go too. You know, and I wonder if that's really why a lot of people are crying. Are they crying because they're going to miss their friend, their loved one? Or are they crying because, hey, you got to go and I didn't? I think somewhere in our unconscious, that's why we really are crying. We want to go home too. We want that same opportunity. So tomorrow, allow yourself the tears. But also allow yourself the humor, the joy, the laughter. Because that's what Doug would want. And allow yourself to rejoice in a life well lived. And a life moving forward to live it to the fullest now. He doesn't have a body to weigh him down. He doesn't have his karmas to hold him here. He doesn't have his concerns about his body or about finances or relationship or anything else. He only has one thing now, and that is his freedom. I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. And that freedom means that he now is free to keep his eye on the Lord and the Lord only and to live in the loving that God has for his soul, him, and for him to live and the loving that he has for God. And to follow that loving now into the greater oneness. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. I know it. I've done it. Brian's done it. Others are doing it. And Doug is living it to the fullest. So tomorrow when you see me crying, I'm not crying because I'm sad that Doug died physically. I'm sad because I didn't get to go with him. I did get to go with him for a moment. I got to go up there and see him rejoicing. But then I had to come back down on my body and say, okay, Della, what are we going to do? <laughs> so I'll be crying because I'm still down here and he's not. He's free and going. But I'll be crying also because I'm going to lose the companionship physically of a great friend a very dear friend. 